Open up your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 14, where we left off there in verse 6. We will be taking a second part of chapter 14. We'll be taking verses 6 through 13, Lord willing. If the voice holds up, we will we'll go for the next couple of hours. I'm, hope, I'm sure you're ready. <clears throat> I know the voice ain't going to last that long, so it's, you can ease your mind on that one. That was a joke. I have to, I, I have to, <laughs> I just have to watch the jokes. <clears throat> if you remember, if you were with us last week, or if you watched online, last week we saw in the start of chapter 14, a reminder to all of us, this is a summary of events of the future. We took the first part of the vision that we see in chapter 14. We saw in verses 1 through 5 a vision, the first part of the facet of the vision regarding the last redemption. And we saw the Lamb on the Mount Zion with the 144,000 Jewish male evangelists that God had raised up to preach the gospel through the, the, through the world to give one more opportunity, that last redemption, that last moment you could be saved, you could be redeemed from your sins. By the grace of God, and they went out preaching the gospel to those that remained in the world. Many have at this point in, have died. The church has been raptured. But today we will see in verses 6 through 13 of chapter 14, this is the last opportunity to hear the gospel and be saved. It's the last proclamation, the last announcement to hear about salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. This will be the end. There will be no other opportunity for those who are living to give their life to Jesus Christ and have eternal life to, to the eternal state and to be saved from hell. Also, we will see God's promise of the Antichrist and the false prophet. We will see this promise of God that he's going to take out the Antichrist, the false prophet, political, commercial, and religious world system. It will fall. We'll see that in verse 8. The grand parentheses or the pause that this chapter represents to fill in some of the, 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 the space to understanding of where we are in the, uh, the timeline here in the future. It continues with a parade of various announcements delivered by three angels that we will see today. With much particular interest in God's final wild, worldwide offer of salvation and proclaimed in the heavenlies. We will see now, we saw last week the first part of the vision. Now we see the second section of this vision in verses 6 and 7 here. Where we find that an angel is preaching the gospel. Look in verse 6 of chapter 14 of Revelation. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. What did this angel say? Verse 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. The angel is drawing the people who live here their attention to the creator of the creation. Did not draw them to worship the creation, but to the creator. We see here this other angel preaches the gospel, but it also announces judgment along with that. Don't forget that. When you read those, that verse, not only is it, it brings attention by this angel of the good news, the gospel, but it also talks about judgment if you do not receive that good news. If you discard the good news. I'll listen to it later, maybe later. I don't have time for that right now. We're talking about a time in the future where there'll be no other opportunity. The last redemption, the last proclamation is being made. It's being made by an angel. 
Because the judgment of God is so evident on the earth right now through the great tribulation, it is no wonder why the crowd that is listening and will hear of this angel across, notice here, every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. It doesn't matter how far in the Amazon you find yourself, you will hear from the angel the good news. God is in control of these things. But we see it's no wonder why the crowd of those saved through the great tribulation cannot be numbered in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 14. There will be such a great revival that will take place. This will be an everlasting gospel, notice here in verse 6, that will be preached. This shows it is identical with the gospel as proclaimed from the beginning that you and I give out that good news and we proclaim the, the gospel. It's the same message as of today and in the past, in the beginning. The gospel, the word gospel in the Greek, euangelion, it means good news of, of the death, the burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we read today in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, that good news, that gospel message. Well, I don't know how to share the gospel with someone. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8 to the person. Open your Bibles and read it. Let the word of God say the truth. Memorize it if you don't have your Bible, but if you have your Bible, open it up and read to the person. Because it is good news of all ages, regardless of your age, regardless of the time period, like what we live in, the age we live in, it doesn't matter. It's a good news at all for all of us. And it's not only good news in the beginning, but it's good news even during the Great Tribulation. Of all ages, that God is sovereign. Man's happiness is based in the recognizing of his authority over the lives of men and women. And the world, once you and I, which you want happiness, people say, what's the secret to happiness? Recognize and, 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 and grasp a hold and internalize. Simulate into your mind, in your heart, in your soul that God is the God of creation. He created you and he has authority over all. And you let him be in control over your life. And if you do that, happiness will come. But many will not. You want the ticket to salvation just to get yourself not to go to hell. But after that, you don't want God to have any say in your life. That's not how it works. That doesn't that's not how it works, my brothers and sisters. Yes, you're saved. Praise God by his grace. But if you want a fulfilled, joyful, peaceful life in this world that we live currently, you must I understand that God is in control of your life and that here in the palm of his hands and his loving hands and nothing can touch your life unless it's father filtered. But you must allow him to have that sovereignty over your life. You must. You must surrender all. If you don't surrender all, you will be unhappy. You will not have peace. And this is the blessed fact in the current dispensation, the dispensation of the church age. The full truth of the gospel of the grace of God. And there is only one gospel because the apostles tell us, and, and, and Paul tells us in Galatians 1.8, but even if we, you and I, we, or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. It'll be accursed if you go outside of what the good news and what the truth is here. This is very clear. So, but that one gospel has different facets. It's the same gospel, it's different facets. Why? Because in the epistles to the Galatians, Paul speaks to of the gospel of the circumcision and the gospel of the uncircumcision in Galatians 2:7. The same gospel, but presented in one way to the Jews and another way to the Gentiles to communicate this good news to them. 
When John the Baptist and Jesus in the ministries on here on this earth, they preached the gospel of, king, of the kingdom. But men rejected the kingdom. So for the time being, the kingdom in the state of suspense, abeyance, a, a, a suspense, a time we're waiting for it to be fulfilled to the end of the day of the church age. God will be putting his salvation on display at the most unexpected time. No matter where people live, even in the, during the great tribulation, it doesn't matter where they live, what their language they speak, they will hear and understand this last warning that God sends an angel to communicate this gospel message. That's the grace of God. Because they've heard this message over and over and over by you and me and, and whoever else during, even during the great tribulation, during the seven year period. And they've rejected and rejected and rejected. And as the church has left, and yes, people will come to Christ the Jews and the Gentiles. He uses an angel to communicate. And what does he communicate? What is the message here? Fear God and give glory to him. This is what the angel will tell the whole world to do. They can do this and give glory to God and worship him, worship him with all their heart, willing in their lives, just turn their lives over and worship them, even at this moment of great tribulation that they're going through. Or be compelled to give to glory to him later. Either way, every knee will bow. You will bow your knee to him now. Or you will bow to him knee when you meet him in, in heaven, when you are meeting at the white throne judgment. You may be stiff-necked now and, and, and refuse to give your life to Christ now. You will bow down to him and give him glory. Yes, you will all, all of us will meet Jesus. Not everyone will stay with Jesus. Because he, you don't want to hear the words, I, I know you not, depart from me. You don't want to hear those words. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you won't hear those words because you made a decision now to surrender your life to him and repent and live for him. It is certain, no question, one day we will all will give glory to God. Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11 says, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven, and of those on earth, and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. You will confess it. I highly recommend you confess it now. See, John says this is an everlasting gospel. It may sound different, that the gospel we hear preached today compared to maybe then or before, but it isn't all that different. But it is, a, it is to be preached from a, from a different, different time and specific time in a different place because of the great tribulations that's taking place. These are the, the, those who are in the latter part of the great tribulation. They have seen such destruction and wrath and all kinds of death and all kinds of wars and, and they're just... just all kinds of destruction we can't even put our minds to. But it's still the gospel. It's still the good news. It is the gospel in the form it takes when the hour of judgment has set in. It is one of the very last calls of grace, the last proclamation that God is going to make to this apostate world. I ponder on that and I say, what... How many times have I heard of the stories and experience and watching and seeing where someone has says, I am fine. I'm, I'm, my life is just fine. I, 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 I can deal with the drug problem. I can deal with the alcohol problem. I can deal with the, the lust problem. I can deal with the anger problem. I can fill in the bitterness problem. All these things. 
And what they didn't expect is the next moment they're finding themselves in, let's say, a car accident. And they're at their almost their last breath. And then an EMT shows up. It happens to be a child of God. And notice they're about to take their last breath and they share the good news, the gospel with them. The greatest tribulation moment in their lives is about to, they're just about to leave this body. And they hear the good news and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That man did not anticipate getting in a car accident. You never, none of us want to get, anticipate getting in a car accident. They think, I'm 20, I'm 30, I got the rest of my life. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm 12, I'm, I'm 15, I'm 16, I, I have the rest of my life. The only thing that we have as assurance is where you're breathing right now. The only assurance you have of your life is the fact that you're still, you may not be awake, but you're at least breathing. <laughs> you weren't breathing, I probably could tell by the skin color at some point, and someone next to you are going to realize <laughs> there's no life there. <laughs> the thief on the cross. God revealed to that man, we don't have all the details of how, he just heard and knew that this was Jesus, the Savior of the world on that cross. Two of them, remember. There was two. One chose to believe. One chose not to believe. And only one heard the great news, that great, that great response. Today you will be with me in paradise. Have you heard that? Have you heard that? Have you received him knowing that you're going to go to heaven? Because absent from this body, you'll be in the presence of the Lord, the Bible says. How important we understand these truths. And it's also important to know that God is not, he loves the whole world. He, didn't, he did not choose which ones he wants saved or not. He died for the whole world. Don't forget the scripture. He at the very, to the very end, even after all the testings and all the things and destructions and everything of the great tribulation, he still sent even an angel to spread the good news so that every nation, every tongue and tribe and people will hear the good news and have one last opportunity to give their life to Jesus. That's the grace of God, my brothers and sisters. So at no point you and I ever look at a family member or a friend or a neighbor or a co-worker or your worst enemy and say that person will never give their life to Christ. They have no chance. You need to repent. Because that's not true. Matter of fact, the hardest of hearts, sometimes the ones who seem to push back the most are the ones that are right at the very edge of giving their life to Jesus. And the scripture shows the ones that's hard to, for them to get saved is who? The rich. The ones self-sufficient, have it all together. Look good, smell good, got the car, got the house, got the wife, got the kids, got the job, got, got everything. I don't need anything. They're the ones don't see the need to be saved. From their sins. Even though those, that man, that woman, still is empty. They just cover it up. And try to work it through because one more vacation will solve the problem. An upgrade on my car will solve my, my depression problem. It's everyone else's fault. Everyone gets out of the way and, and works. Maybe I won't have to work so hard. All these little comments we make that are so unbiblical and so wrong. Wherever your status is, your stance is, where you sit today, all of us 
need Jesus in our life. Again, you've heard me say this in my testimony, and the one statement that changed my life is when I heard a pastor say, the more you think about yourself, the more miserable you become. And I said, oh, he just spoke to me out of a thousand men. How did he know me? He didn't know me. I was the one sitting in the far back, at the last row, closest to the door, so I could escape if need be. <laughs> Many years ago. But praise God, he didn't give up on me. Amen? So we see here that, yes, he's going to speak to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And it could be a valid fulfillment of what Jesus promised in Matthew 24, 14, that the gospel would be preached to all the world before his second coming. But this can never be a valid excuse, justification, why you do not share the gospel. Oh, God will take care of it. They're, they're the way they're living, they should go through the tribulation. You've got to repent. That is not the way you should be thinking. That's no justification for us to neglect the urgency of sharing the gospel now at home or on a mission field. God has not given the responsibility for spreading the gospel to angels, but until his people. He's given it to you and I to share the gospel. But pastor, didn't you just say the angel's going to share the gospel? Yes. But understand this is the only place in the New Testament where we see angels preaching the gospel. Why did he have to use the angel? Because the church is in heaven. We've been raptured. And it's God's glorious wisdom he has chosen to give this responsibility to people alone. Apart from the very rarest of exceptions. And that can be applied to many things in the scripture. Well, why do, why do we see this as one example of God doing this? That means that it could be apply across the board. No, it's a special occasion because no one else would rise to the occasion. Because if you're not willing to do it, that he's called you to do it, and you're not willing to do it, he'll shelve you and he'll bring someone else in to do it. If you're not faithful, he will find a faithful vessel that will serve him because he will accomplish his work. Now we see in verse 8 the third part of the vision, the third facet of this vision. And another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the, of the wrath of her fornication. Now we're going to talk more, I'm not going to get a lot of details of Babylon today because we're going to spend a lot more time in the discussion of Babylon in chapters 17 and 18. But for now it is enough to see it representing mankind in organized rebellion against God. That's what you need to remember. Babylon represents a rebellion, worldwide organized effort to rebel against God. That's what Babylon is. And every little facet of that rebellion is part of a what we call a mystic Babylon of today. Prophetically, Babylon sometimes refers to a literal city in Iraq. It sometimes it's to a religious system, sometimes to a political system, all stemming from the evil, simple evil character of the historic Babylon that we read in the scripture. Now, Babylon of the old was the, the fountainhead. That's what really sprung up what we call idolatry, the worship of other gods, little g's. The attention away from God, but attention on things and other, other, other could be self as a little god, but most of the times it was some kind of made up item or a person or from Zeus to you know all kinds of idolatries that we, we bow down to worship to some kind of idol some kind of symbol some kind of something it could be anything 
But Babylon of the old was the fountainhead for idolatry. Now today, the mystic Babylon today is the mother of all false religious teachings in Christianity. You up there and say, oh, they say they're Christians, but they're going against the nature and understanding of who Jesus Christ is in the Trinity. They're part of the Babylon moment here. In time, at the very end, we see in these end times, it will be headed up by this one great false church, led by the false prophet that we talked about, which was the other beast. And they will use religion to sway the people, both the Jews and those of the religious factors, and all facets of religions will be used by this false prophet to courage to do and follow the, the leader, the Antichrist. We studied that. Go back and read that. Listen to that, I should say. And read it. But there will be a worldwide church which was, has proven to be so unworthy and false to who Jesus is. They've walked away from the clarity of who Jesus is. And it will be broken absolutely into pieces and to be literally destroyed. God promises that in the end times. Now we see signs of it around the world today. Rejecting God's truth. Walking away from the word of God. Twisting it, changing it, adding it, deleting from it. Whatever they can do to sway you from the truth of God. That's the signs of what we're seeing going on. And by clinging to this new enthusiasm in the church, what we call the reunion of Christendom or universalism. We're all one big church. We're all the same. We worship the same God. We just do it different ways. And it's a universalistic kind of mentality. So how do we take all of these churches and rally them around so that we're all saying we're worshiping the same God? Let's have the same common thought. Why don't we now make climate the number one thing we should make in the church of of importance? How about tolerance? How about you you go on and on and on. You see these things, my brothers and sisters. You're not not fooled by these things. You, You have the spirit of God. You understand. You have discernment. You see these conversations at the largest of church of the of 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 the Catholic Church is moving in that direction. Clear as can be. It's 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 on the news. When you see these things, you see what's happening and what is going to come to be. You see the bumper stickers. I don't need to explain that. If you see a bumper sticker, it has all the different religious symbols on it and they're talking about oneness. Just be very careful when you say, oh, I, 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 I love God. Oh, you love God? I love God. But have them define God for you. Just say the word. You want to, it's like a, you, you know, a fossa moment, right? Just say, who's Jesus Christ? Just as Jesus said to his disciples, who do they say that I am? Ask that question when you're talking to someone who perceives to be a Christian. Who is Jesus Christ to you? And if their response is, he's my Lord and Savior, He's my Lord and Savior. You're not talking, if they don't say that, you're you're not talking to this, we're talking about the same God here. Because this universalism and all the facets of this climate and tolerance and acceptance and union, a form of a union of a great federation of global network of Christ-less churches forming the most powerful religious association Building a community. I want to belong to God's family. But they're going to try to form a religious association, a religious organization. And that every known world religion at the time, Catholic, Greek, Protestant, all the other systems uniting into one after the true believers have gone. That is what's going to happen. And we're starting to see the understanding, the momentum of that today. Why? 
And the scripture here in verse 8 tells us why. Because she, Babylon, has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. That system, that one world religious system is going to be preaching and teaching and, and, and pushed, 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 pushed across all nations when we are told that Babylon has led all nations into fornication, which is spiritual fornication, the worship of other gods. You can worship God however you want to. It's a very simple statement, but that is a form of what we're talking about, a spiritual fornication here. However, we are never surprised or to, be, to, to see spiritual fornication accompanied with literal immorality. So when you see the things of, this, of the church age and you see these different churches and they're talking about spiritual fornication, they won't say that. But when you see that within the church, immorality is, a, is open and willing and acceptable. You're talking about spiritual fornication happening. And it's going to spread. It's like a cancer. That cannot happen within this church. We will do not allow open unrepentant immorality to dwell within the church because it would be a cancer. It would spread to those who were weak. That's why we all look out for each other. We all encourage ourselves to live and continue to, as we sung a song, I choose to be holy. I want to live a holy life. And we can be encouraged by one another to continue to keep our eyes on Jesus and live that holy life. Living a life that's what's pleasing to him. Because if we're not, oh, I assure you, you like the flavor immorality in your life? You'll find this, this Babylon, this spiritual fornication in another church in your neighborhood. And that greatly saddens me. That's why we continue to pray for the churches of this community that they would come back to the simplicity of studying the word of God and applying the word of God to their lives. We now see the fourth part of the vision, verses 9 through 13. And this third angel now is going to now warn of the judgment if you do not make a decision today for Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There is a consequence here because there's no other, uh, there's no other opportunity. If you don't accept this la last proclamation, there is going to be judgment upon that person's life. And we see this here, it says, then a third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships, notice that word, worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Verse 11. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. We'll pause right there. See, when we see in these verses here, 9 through 11, the warning to those who are against God and the cost of not following Jesus. It's very clear in the scriptures here. There's a warning. We just told you the good news. The only way to be saved, the only way to have eternal state with Jesus Christ and be saved from going to hell is to surrender your life completely to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, to believe in that good news of his death and burial and resurrection. And if you don't, there's judgment, there's consequences to your decision. It's your decision. It's not God taking you to hell. You've already made that decision of your sin and your rebellion. Just know, not making a decision is a decision. <laughs> oh, I, I, let me think about that, Pastor. You just made a decision. No, no, I didn't. I just said I had to think about it. That is what you're doing. Don't be fooled by the enemy of thinking you have time. You don't have time. You only have the time that he's given to you today. 
What a grave thing this truth is, though. A message from heaven declaring that those who turn away from the true God, who reject the word of God, and who instead worship the beast in his image and take a mark, and a mark that says your allegiance to follow this antichrist, this political leader, this, this one who controls the world. The consequence is very clear that you're going to drink the very dreads of the cup of God's wrath. Instead of understanding the truth that when Jesus went to the cross, remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Father, if there's any other way to take this cup and, 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 and pass, I can pass. I don't have to drink that cup of wrath. If there's any other way. But he was willing to go to the cross and, die, and drink that cup of wrath for you. The cup of indication, your sins. He would drink that on, he took it. And those who accept him and believe in him, tr turn their lives over to him. You're made as white as snow. All your sins, past, present, even future, are wiped away, gone. Because he drank that cup. But what the scripture is telling us in this very sobering truth. If you are living, and I pray none of you are, are, are not saved here this morning. But let's say only one person that's listening right now online. That person is who I'm talking to. If the rapture happens and we go into the tribulation and nothing is stopping us from doing that. And in the next seven years, if they are able to make it through and, and not, be, not be killed because of the, of the wars and the pestilence and all the things that are going to go on, that person who's listening to my voice right now is going to say, I refuse to listen to that pastor at that time. But God is going to bring back to memory what I just told you about the good news. And I'm just saying, it's giving you an opportunity. And I'm reminding you that God took and drank that cup for you. Will you accept him in his payment for your life? Because if you don't, that person in seven years, at the very end, if they make it through that long, because some, some guys can get really squirrely and think they're really tough, and they're really good, and they've got their bunkers built, and they're going to go underground, and they've got their water thing, and they've got, they've got all the techniques, and I can hunt, and I can, I'm going to make it through. You're, you're, you've gone squirrely, man. You really need to sit down and talk with me, because you really don't know what the scripture says. And say, let's you do make it. Will you have the ability and the willingness to accept Jesus at that moment in time? Or will you drink your own cup of wrath and be sent to hell for eternity? Because if you can't do it now with the Spirit of God moving now, who's to say you will even desire to do that during the seven-year period of tribulation. That's not a scare tactic. That's just reality. I've heard, this, I've heard the logic of a lot of people over the years in ministry. You're gambling with your life. Why would you choose to do that? That's a very unwise, foolish thing the scripture talks about. So if anyone worships the beast in his image, and trust me, I buy the scripture, and, and this guy is going to be able to look good, smell good, talk good. I, I don't know what he's going to look like, but he is going to be able to have the power of Satan in him to sway you to do whatever he wants you to do. We've got the samplings. Look at what the government did to fear people into doing things that in their right mind they said they would not do. That's just as a test run. 
There's psyops going on all the time to condition us into. And you and I have the word of God and the spirit of God to keep us to have discernment when we see these things. We stay close in as a family, as a church family, because we can encourage one another and have a, a safe venue for you to come and say, Pastor, I've got something going on in my head. I can't get it straight. I've been watching this and seeing this, and I think this is it. You have someone and a, a leaders here, people who will sit down with you, open the scriptures to show you why this is not true. And the Bible is true and you don't have to be fearful, be strong and of good courage. So you're not duped. And you're not going to find yourself because it's not going to be just subtle. You will make a decision to worship the beast in the image and receive his mark on the forehead or his hand. Why? Because you will be brought to your knees to make that decision of one way or another. And guess what will happen when you say, I refuse to take the mark. Even though I don't want anything to do with God, I'm going to refuse to take the mark. Again, you're squirrely. You're a fool. That's foolish talking. Because when at that point, when you do give your life to Christ, you will be martyred, you will be killed for your faith because you did not take that mark and you will not bend your knee to the Antichrist. You will die a horrible death. That's what the scripture tells us. They will be, all those people will be martyred during that time. Because no one casually or accidentally takes the mark. The connection is very clear. The connection between worshiping the beast and taking the mark is very clear. No one just said, oh, I can't believe I got that mark. I didn't even know what was I doing. I was, I was no big deal. I thought it was just everyone was doing it. If I didn't do it, I wasn't going to be able to get a job. I wasn't going to be able to eat. I wasn't able to provide for my family. I wouldn't get health care. I wouldn't be able to work. I wouldn't be able to live. How was I going to do this? I know. That's why you give your life now and you can be spared from all of that. That's the point. Although receiving the mark may seem innocent enough, it's no big deal. Everyone else is doing it. Do not be like a cow's. Uh, I probably shouldn't use the cow's as an example. Sorry, Sam. Don't be like the herd or whatever you want to be. Or like the sheep. You're just blindly just going. Be wise, my brothers, by the word of God and the spirit of God that lives within you and seals you for eternity. Be wise in these things. Why? Because we already see it in the scripture and historically we see him in the Caesar's time. Caesar said, I am Lord and you will bow down and you will take a pinch of incense and will burn it as a form of worship to me as Lord. We've already seen this already played out once before in history. And the Antichrist has nothing new. It'll be just something different. See, those who worship the Antichrist will be forced to drink the wine of the wrath of God. And it will be full strength. This, this, this cup of wrath, which is, means God's judgment, is expressed many times in the scriptures. Go back in Psalm 75, 8. Or another example would be Jeremiah. Jeremiah 25, 15. A couple examples. If it's not 15, just go a little to the left or the right. It's right there somewhere. See, the idea behind the cup that Jesus wanted to, for you to avoid. He wanted to avoid it. We saw that in Matthew 26, 39. This is not something lightly taken. But those who are enemies against Jesus reject God. They will have no choice. They will drink their cup. Now, when we see here at the very end here, I know I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they will have no rest day or night. 
It pictures of those who rejected God and now find themselves in torment in hell. The lake of fire, actually. These passages teach several important truths about hell, about the lake of fire, the eternal destiny for those who are damned, who are not, who have rejected God. And the first one is, he shall be tormented by fire and brimstone. It shows the suffering of those who have chosen not God, but chosen to reject God. It shows the suffering in hell is real torment, painful and repulsive. It's not some New Year's Eve party that, that Satan's always trying to point out and, and jokingly bring it out and say, oh, me and my buddies are all down there going to have a great time. We're going to beer fest. No one telling us we can't get drunk, can't party and have a great time. We're going to be all together. You've been deceived. It'll be the most eternal, painful situation you've ever experienced in every aspect of your life in the lake of fire. The second truth here in this verse is in the presence of holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. This shows that God is not absent from seeing all things. The presence of Jesus will, will be there, but only the presence of his holy justice and wrath against sin. Not the love. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. This tells you and I that the worshiping of the Antichrist, receiving his mark, will endue the wrath and indignation of eternal hell. There is no ending. It's not just temporary. You can't talk your way out of it after you leave this body. You can't get down and someone can pray you out of it. That is not biblical for the saints who are still alive to pray you out of purgatory. It's not biblical. It's just some false way of trying to bring comfort to those who know their loved one is in hell. I know that may hurt a little bit on that one for some. But it's truth. When it says forever and ever, what does that mean? Forever and ever. It's called the eternal state of torment. There is no end. Verses 12 and 13, let's finish here. Now we see something positive. Let me, let me bring it and lift it up a little bit here. <laughs> make it a little more positive here. Verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Believers. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, blessed are the dead who died in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, Spirit of God, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Hallelujah. This is for you and I as believers. What will we hear? What will we experience? We see it clearly in the scripture. Patience, long-suffering, endurance of the faith of the saints will produce results. Not judgment, but rest. Rest from the labors. Rest from the works. These are, this is good things. Why? Because... We see the strong contrast between the rest of the saints and the continual torment of the wicked. The rest comes through patient endurance and faithfulness to God and his word. We listen to the word of God and we're obedient to the word of God. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. We live by faith, not by sight. We trust in what God has said and his promises. We hold on to those for our lives. Even when we don't, in the early days, don't fully understand it. As you grow and mature, he brings more illumination to these truths over so you to understand and grow spiritually. We can't only imagine what courage and comfort this passage must have been for those who did get saved during the tribulation and needed to have comforting words what was going to happen to them because they were hell on earth at that moment in time. 
They've been embattled, persecuted saints. Many of them were martyred and killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. Clearly, God wants to encourage his people to be steadfast in the times of trials and, and, and tests that come our way. We must stand firm. We must stay steadfast in him. Focusing on what is the blessed, the blessed rest and reward that awaits for you and I for eternity. Pastor, when are you going to get some rest? When I get to eternity. Time is short. People need to be reached with the gospel. People are dying and going to hell. How can I rest? I need to encourage you in the faith to continue to stay fed, set fast, and focus on Christ to bring so you end the race at the end and finish well. So I need to take another lap to keep encourage you to keep running. I'm going to do it. Because I want all of you to finish well. I want us all to be together for eternity, worshiping God, just like we're worshiping now. This is just a snippet of what it's going to be like when we're singing with the rest of our brothers, sisters, and with the angels. Amen? I'm going to cover this one last part here. Blessed are the dead who died in the Lord. But notice here that we rest from their labors and their works follow them. What does that mean? See, when you're faithfully and patiently enduring and doing for God, the works that God's called you to do as saints and, and remembered will be remembered in heaven for eternity. We will not go to the great white throne judgment to be judged for our sins and then be cast into the lake of fire. But we will come to the Bema seat and he will, he will look at our lives just like as a sinner will be looked at, we will be looked at. But he will look at all the works, the things that we did for Christ. And there will be blessings and rewards that will come from that moment when we're with him. Our work for Jesus and his kingdom goes with us into heaven, giving dignity and significance to all the work here below for him, as we do it before we come to see him. Let me put something on your hearts here this morning. Because I want to press this on your heart with a question. I like asking questions. Because <laughs> I find them very illuminating for people to understand the question they need to ponder on. But let me press a question upon your hearts in this way. Whether you're saved or unsaved, you also... We're all going to leave this earthly scene shortly. We're all going to leave these bodies at some point. We don't know when or how. But we're all going to, unless the rapture happens. And I'll accept the rapture right now. Not a problem. But if you're saved, here's the question. What have you been doing for the Lord? What have you been doing for your father? Your heavenly father, what have you been doing? As a child of God, what have you been doing for him? Now, if you're unsaved, then I beg you. Yes, the pastor's begging. I beg you to remember that your sins will follow after you. Those sins that you have been trying to forget. Those sins from which you have fled and denied. Those sins you thought you could just deal with on your own and pay, pay for it by your own effort in your own way. But it hasn't worked. Yes, those sins that no one else knows but you. When you stand up at the last time in your poor and naked and miserable state at the great white throne judgment, you will find all of your sins there 
and they will be revealed. How that happens, but you will see it all. And that list for some goes on and on <laughs> and on. You'll probably, the people behind you is like, oh, wait a minute, you're still, your sins are still rolling up and being reviewed? You know, the person in front of you had just one little tiny thing. Yes, but they were only 12. <laughs> they had a small list. But man, look at the list of this guy. But all of them will be revealed. And when you're at that great white throne, you will find all your sins there, and they will fasten upon you like the hell weights that they really are in our lives. Sin is just weight. The guilt and the shame is weight. And it will drag you down to the lake of fire because you refused to let Jesus be the one that took all those sins away from you. Do not, I beseech you, my brothers and sisters, and those who I pray that you would give your life to Jesus this morning, turn away from the serious and sober truth and decision that we see in the scripture. But here's the good news. Here's the good news. Here is the proclamation that I'm going to speak to you today. The blood of Christ alone can wash you from all of your sins. All those sins can be washed away today. And then as a believer now in Jesus Christ, because you've asked him to come into your life and forgive you your sins and you've repented, I'm, I'm turning away from those sins. You've declared, Jesus, save me, please. I believe in you. When you make that response to that proclamation, you become a believer in the Lord Jesus. And you can live for him in these early, this, this earthly scene that you find yourself in. Without, without worry, without anxiety of how and what you're going to do when you meet Jesus. It's already been dealt with. When you're absent from this body, you'll be in the presence of him. He will be well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you want to hear. Today you'll be with me in paradise. That's what you want to hear. So when we leave this earthly scene and your works will follow you to heaven because all of that is done for Christ will abide for eternity. And you will be rewarded and blessed because of that decision. Have you made that decision? I pray you will, if you haven't already. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you and praise you for your grace and your mercy upon our lives, Lord. And as the Spirit is moving, I pray, Holy Spirit, speak to the hearts of your hearers this morning and even the days to come. That if you've been speaking to their heart about surrendering their life to you, Today's the day they confess they're, they're wicked. They know, they're, they know all those sins are in their lives and they confess those to you this morning. And they ask you to come into their life and to wash them as white as snow. To clean out them out, clean them out, Lord. That they accept you and your payment of what you did on, for them on the cross. And they want to worship you this day forward in their lives, Lord. They want to be a child of God. They're making that decision right now between you and them. It's because it's between you and them. It's not between anyone else. It's between you and you, and you Lord. Pray that they were surrendering now. And if anyone here in this presence here or online, if, you, if God is speaking to you, while the eyes are closed, heads are bowed, just raise your hand so I can know who has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ this morning, that the Spirit of God touched their heart and they know they need to be saved and they've cried out now, surrendering their heart to you this day forward. Just raise your hand so I can pray for you and see who God is touching here. For those online, just if you're raising your hand in your room right now, wherever you're at, send me a message, please. Let me know. I want to encourage you and send you something with your new 
new faith in Jesus so you can grow in, in your knowledge and understanding. Is there anyone here this morning? Raise your hand high enough so I can see, so I know who the Lord is speaking to this morning. Don't push back the spirit if the spirit is, is touching your heart right now. Take a step of faith in Jesus. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord. And I do pray for all in the listening ear this morning and here present, that even as, as a child of God, that you're still working in their hearts, Lord, if there's something as a child of God that they've been kind of reintroducing into their life of sin that is not to be there, that you've convicted their You've convicted them to say it's got to get that back out. It's starting to creep back in their lives, their thought life, their physical life. Maybe they've gotten sluggish and not wanting to pursue you with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Maybe today's the day you're, you're just reminding them, you've got to get back up and pursue you with all your heart and mind, soul, and strength to draw closer to you, Lord, because they've walked away a little bit, drifted with distractions of this world, the desires of their flesh of wanting to go what and do whatever they want to do. Lord, you're working in all the people's hearts here, Lord. You are so faithful, especially your loving touch on your children's to remind them to keep their eyes upon you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.